So, any, anyone questions, or shall we just plow ahead? I'm fine with just plowing ahead, sir. All right, Puffle, you good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, fine. All right, so uh, we'll go ahead and start sort of now. Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to The Soundboard. It's the NeatCoffee.com musical podcast that uh, we've been sort of on a forced hiatus. Um, mostly my fault, but every time we would seem to come up for air, uh, one of us would be trying to have a life. We're sorry about that. We don't, we don't mean to have a life, but sometimes it just happens, even for online music people. Uh, so, yes, joining me, as always, uh, are the people who actually know what they're talking about. Uh, we have uh, Jam Tuffley's with us. Hello. Hi. Um, and I was available, except that I was trying to go on tour, and my opening act got everyone set. So, sorry about that. Oh, uh, you had to cancel. I had to cancel. Yeah. yeah. A lot. <laughs> uh, and uh, we also have uh, Rob Levy's with us. Hi, Rob. Hello. We had the Masters, but we didn't like them, so we did it all over again. And by that, he means, no, I can't make a Robotech joke. This is a music podcast. All right, so, basically. <laughs> yes, you can. Why not? Well, I just, I sort of obliquely did. Uh, so, yes, we're, we're back after our hiatus, and this is going to be sort of a, a catch-up, catch-all episode uh, as we try to find out exactly what the hell's going on uh, and catch up on some news and uh, where we are in the year and stuff like that. So um, we'll just jump right in with, uh, with actually, you know, let's, let's start with some good news. I think we should start with the good news that, um, that, that Weird Al Yankovic uh, has, has hit number one with his album, Mandatory Fun, his first number one album in, I, what, like 30 years. Something like that. He started in yeah. 76. I can't do math. But the closest he got previously was Straight Outta Linwood, which was number nine, and that was back in, I think, 2006. Uh, and his white nerdy single with Platinum, which I think I may have mentioned before, I actually hadn't heard the original. I thought that was one of his. So... When I found out that it was a parody, I was like, what? So I was very confused. Um, so, guys, reactions? I'm assuming that you're at least mildly pleased to quite satisfied with this news. Who, whoever wants Sure, I'll, I'll start. No, I'll start. Sorry. No, it is, it, is, it is great. At a time when, you know, the world around us is falling apart and the weather's crappy and people are dying and things are just generally busy and overloaded, we can all pause and feel a sense of justice, I think, yes. if Weird Al Yankovic has the number one record. Because truly, there is not a nicer guy in the music industry who we might add is beloved by his colleagues. He's been doing this for 30 years and hasn't really made any enemies. And no one's actually walked up and punched him about his parody, which is a true sign of longevity and staying power. And, you know, there's just, you know, it's like watching your neighbor or your best friend or somebody that you really care about do something really awesome and you're just really happy for them, that's what this feels like. And it's like, it's Weird Al. It's great. And you also feel, at least to me, a certain sense of validation because growing up um, sort of in my adolescent years when I liked Weird Al, it was not cool to like Weird Al. And it was like he ran from the bullies, you know, when when you admitted you liked Weird Al. Even when he was on MTV, in the height of all the MTV video popularity era, he still was very much a cult artist. And for this to happen, I think gives him a sense of musical validation and also makes all of his fans and people that 
sort of work within the notes and parodied, whose songs have been parodied by him, feel really great as well. Well, I mean, that's that's the thing is that he's uh, so many artists have said, I mean, especially Nirvana, they said, well, we know we know we've made it because we've been parodied by uh, Weird Al. Uh, yeah. And what was it? Even um, I think it was Coolio, right, who got pissed about Amish Paradise. Yeah. But it wasn't even his song anyway. Well, I, what? Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but I think I think later he came back and was like, "Yeah, it was dumb. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been like that." So, yeah. But yeah, he's he is he's widely considered to be a, a tremendously nice guy. I we we did get to chat with him on Red Nose for like fifteen minutes, and it was, I mean, I used to listen to him when I was a kid, and uh, so it was just like talk, it's like there. You're, I'm talking to Weird Al. What the fuck is happening? My life is so strange. Um, so, Tuffley, what are your thoughts? I'm thinking it's uh, it's a pretty good test of uh, the new mix of um, Billboard's charting apparatus. Um, because that also kicked in as part of this. Um, that's also charting uh, stuff like YouTube and stuff like, you know, online, uh, Twitter measurements really so they're they're counting yes really yes so we've moved away from actual sales well we are doing sales to an extent sales are still a very big important part of this okay but they're also factoring in like say plays on youtube or plays uh plays in social media and and those 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 do actually a minor percentage to the charts but it's still there Interesting. So, and because he released videos separately two weeks before the album came out, yeah, uh, it uh, it spiked the uh, it spiked when he actually did first week sales. Interesting. Yeah, I did not. So th- this would be the first time that they've started including stuff that was not an actual sale, right? Well, they've, well, I know they've, they, and I don't know the percentage. I know it's a minor percentage that this stuff is counting in in relation to that and sales. Yeah. But, uh, but I know that, uh, that, uh, metric, they, the metrics, the added metrics they started kicking in earlier this year. Okay. But this just seems to be the really, the first really good example of that because he got a lot of play on YouTube, like in the week of this coming out. Well, and, I think the other thing too is his Weird Al is a is a great example of somebody who has stayed on top of what how 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 things were working basically because I mean he was he was an MTV darling he, his music videos were great I mean when they came out yeah. they they were like they were like an event for those of us who grew up on music videos um, because he he was. Just his, his videos, if you're not as familiar with his videos, some of you kids ask your parents, they were as pitch perfect parodies as were the songs. Yeah. Down to the extent that, what was it, um, Michael Jackson let him use one of his sets, one of the actual sets for, for his videos, because Jackson was apparently a big fan. Well, um, he wanted him to open. He wanted to open for yeah. him on his Euro- European tour. What? Who, What? Michael Jackson wanted Weird Al to open for him on his European tour the year he was uh, filming UHF. Wow. And, and he the, was filming yeah. UHF and he had to turn him down. Wow. 
And the video for Eat It has like some of the same dancers in it. Like the dancer that pulls out the knife. Yeah. In the in the Eat It video, he's wearing like a, a leather jacket with a smiley face on the back. Nice. But but oh yes, I tangented. Um but basically he was MTV. And then when MTV started to show everything but music, um he transitioned to YouTube and his uh, I mean for Alpocalypse, which was the um two thousand eleven album where he had the Lady Gaga parody. He used Twitter to basically get to Lady Gaga, who reportedly had not turned him down. It was her management that had turned him down. Um, and that basically enabled him to release the album. So he's he's harnessed social media. I mean, the only... I found out about Alpocalypse through Twitter. I did not know it was even happening. Um, and then uh, this whole thing of dropping Mandatory Fun with the multiple music videos... And then he's been, he's got all these musicians who want to work with him. I mean, you had Amanda Palmer, who's got a gazillion followers, posting pictures of her singing on one of his tracks. So, you know, it, and not in a, not in a calculated, like, dickish way. He's just, he's got this, he's cultivated this following of musicians who then their fan base wants to know what their, you know, the, the musicians they're a fan of are doing with Weird Al. So they then go and check out Weird Al. So I, I think it's it's fascinating how he simply evolved his method for this, and obviously quite successfully. Now, Tuffley, you know you you know this because you know everything. When is he eligible for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I believe he's already eligible. Oh come on! If there's anybody, if they really want to make the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony, something fun that everyone will watch, this is the time to strike. And again, it goes back to the we're ignoring the 80s. That's basically yeah. what that is. Because he, he came, I think he got really popular like er, like mid-80s. Yeah. And that's apparently the uh, the, the no-fly zone that apparently the, uh, the, the, the Hall of Fame is going with now. Um, because obviously, you know, you're not going to get Weird Al, you're not going to get the replacements, you're not going to get the Pixies, you're not going to get, the, you're not going to get anybody from England, you're not going to get Joy Division, yeah. you're not going to get Depeche Mode, you're not going to get any of those people because, frankly, they don't, they don't care about the middle of the '80s. Now, what's interesting about Weird Al too is that this album he does, being of the Pixies, he kind of parodies the Pixies. Yeah, he does. He's all, he's Which is the song Amanda Palmer's on. Yes. Yeah, he's he's managed to like not only have all these other musicians be on his songs, he's managed not only to get all this rights and clearances and we even dodge through, you know, ASCAP and BMI and he doesn't mind paying the artists and things like this. But the interesting thing about Weird Al through all of this is that he's actually had to probably listen to all of these songs and digest them. So you could argue that no one could probably speak better on pop music for the last 30 years than Weird Al. Yeah. From a scholarly point of view. Yeah, I mean, um, he, he listens to just tons and tons and tons and tons of music and processing all of that and coming up with a way to make a parody. I mean, cause you and I and, and Wiz could all be parodies that we think are funny, but the other people may not get it. The hard part that Al does so well is making a parody that connects with every person who listens to it. That's harder than it sounds. 
Oh yeah. You know. Yeah. I think it's the one. I think it's the one thing that he does that a lot of these other guys that have been novelty records can't do. They repeatedly connect, and that is pretty amazing. And uh, I just looked. His uh, his first album was '83, which means he was eligible uh, 25 years, right? So 2008. Yes. Yep. So, yeah. But I, I, Rob, I see that as like, you know, he he's he's got. It's like it's like trying to get him to perform at the Super Bowl. Um, I just I don't know how. I I don't think I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame they take themselves too seriously for that. You know what I mean? So I, I, but if they got, well, if, if the musicians would get behind it, who have clout, yeah, it would happen. Sure. I mean, the only one who probably wouldn't be down with it is Prince, because apparently Prince is the only person who really gives him a hard time about using his music. But I think that you know you've got some people with some pep that would that would back that. That's that's a possibility. That would certainly you know, for him playing at the Super Bowl. Although I think, honestly, what you need is you need some of those musicians with heft to just bring out Weird Al as part of their act. I think that would be fantastic. People would go apeshit. And I would watch the Super Bowl if Weird Al played the Super Bowl. I would watch that. I don't understand the Super Bowl, and I would watch the Super Bowl to see Weird Al play. So <clears throat> there you go. Whatever network does the Super Bowl, that thing with the puck. You, if you want, if you want, if you want to get the contingent of people who don't give a shit about you, book Weird Al. I'm just saying. Yeah, and the other thing I love about Weird Al too is that you can watch interviews with like punk rockers and like rock and roll veterans and hip hop guys and these like really big pop singers, and they all love him. It's he has magically transcended almost all of these genres seamlessly. And the musicianship involved in that, one, I think is underappreciated. I don't think people appreciate his musicianship. Um, but I also think that, you know, the fact that he is just so adept at going from one style to another, almost effortlessly, is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. And I think, I think part of what they appreciate is the fact that he does, I mean, he doesn't, he technically does not have to get permission to do these because Parody is protected, but he does. Yeah. I mean, he 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 does go and get permission um, from the artist, and I, I think after the Lady Gaga thing, he started doing it directly um, to to make sure that they're cool with it. Um, which I I think basically, you know, it's 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 very cool if somebody goes, okay, well, I would like to do this, and they you have the option of saying no. Um, so I, I think that's part of why. He's endeared himself to everybody. That that then, like yeah. you said, the fact that he was able to so perfectly make a parody means that I think that the musicians will go. Well, he actually understands what I'm doing because he has to in order to make a parody that good. Yes. The other nice thing too about him, that's the, the flip side of this, is that he has had people that are famous musicians say no to him. I mean, we know about Prince because Prince has said that he doesn't. Prince has said on record he doesn't want Weird Al parody. So we know, that's how we know about that. But Al has, has been very guarded about not mentioning people who wouldn't let him parody his Where he could say, oh, you know, I talked to Madonna. She won't let me parody her song. And everybody goes to hound that artist to let Weird Al do his song. He could take the easy way out of the band. Rob, but he doesn't. Yeah, is that better? You're breaking up a bit. Okay, is that better? 
A little bit, yeah. Okay, sorry. Okay, let me backtrack a little. The one thing that's great about Al is that he manages to not out the people that say no to him. And very easily could, you know, with the with the methodology of, you know, oh, Madonna's not letting me use her song. I'm going to post this online and everyone will bother Madonna until I can use her song. But he very carefully and respectfully keeps that to himself and doesn't make that public knowledge of who says no to it. And I think that's kind of cool. And I think that does gain him a little leverage with a lot of people, you know, that he doesn't, you know, if you say yes, great. If you say no, no. You know, he, you know, he has said if Nirvana said no, and he fully expected Nirvana to say no. I mean, Nirvana knew that they arrived Weird Al did a parody of him. But conversely, Weird Al said that they were one of the few artists he was actually had some concerns about approaching because he had no idea what to expect. So it's interesting that, yes, he does bring popularity to the artist whose songs he does cover. Because don't get me wrong, by covering Pharrell, you know, Pharrell, people are going to listen to Pharrell records because of the Weird Al version. Not a lot, but some will, right? right. So we'll get some bop off, we'll get some bounce off of it. But at the same time, him, you know, like if Pharrell said no, not outing him, I think is also just as important as the fact that all these people do say yes. I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. All right, so <clears throat> we're pleased about Weird Al. While we're on the topic of parody, uh, we'll transition to something <laughs> a little stranger. Um, in that there's apparently been a, a, a tiff between Panic at the Disco and the Westboro Baptist Church, which is a very strange face-off. Um, but as I, as I, at first I thought, well, okay, I, I saw where the Westboro Baptist Church was protesting a Panic at the Disco show. And Panic at the Disco basically said, for every protester that shows up, we're going to donate $20 to the human, uh, to the, uh, was it human rights campaign. Human rights campaign. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And, uh, so basically only 12 or 13 protesters showed up. <laughs> Which I think is fantastic. And I love how the Westboro, oh, there were so many angels. It's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, so basically, Panic at the Disco said, all right, we're going to up it to $1,000 since your showing was so weak. The part of this that I did not realize was the fact that the Westboro Baptist Church recorded a parody of Panic's song, I Write Sins, Not Tragedies. And the parody's called You Love Sin, What a Tragedy. About basically... You know how homosexuality and gay marriage is bad, and in to show my dedication, I actually went and listened to as much of this parody as I could stand, and it's pretty bad. Did you need to listen to it to determine? Yeah, it's pretty bad. No, no, no. I, I, I was intrigued. I was like, okay, is this, is it, is it what I think it is, which is it's going to be some karaoke version with people doing. I mean, oddly, the production was not bad. It's just that the singer was obviously not a singer. So, so, I, but I was like, how, how weird to, to, to protest a band by doing a parody of them? Because, you know, again, just like talking about some people will find musicians because of Weird Al's parody. I had never heard of this Panic of the Disco song, but thanks to Westboro Baptist Church, I have. <laughs> so this is very strange. You guys, do you guys have any reaction to? I mean, well, you know, I'm I'm still rather surprised that Panic in the Disco insists on the exclamation point after Panic. 
Uh, <laughs> but, now it's like mega panic. Yeah, you know. but but you know, good on them. Good on them. Is it is it like when uh, Thirty Eight Special would actually, as, as I understand it, they ship a decimal point to venues so that they could actually put that on the marquee properly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I love Tuffley's reaction. Rob, any reaction from you? I hear I hear you sighing. Well, it's just you know, uh, kind of get the miss there were an annoying and irritating band to begin with, but now they've gotten more press and more hype because of this. And sadly, I have to say, good for them. Well, I mean, I'm I'm good for them. You know, they have they've been a band that, and hopefully I may be wrong on this because I'm not down with the hipsters like you, but. I I don't think they've been quite a they've lost a little momentum over recent years at least it seems to me and I could be wrong on that but oh, quite something a bit. like this something like this completely bounces back into the public eye you know um, it's Americans love underdogs and now they're the underdogs they're the people being picked on you know the the weird people at protest funerals are bothering a band you know on a song and it's just really really. This is like, first of all, 13 people is the best you can do. It's not a protest if 13 people are there. It's not. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> um, although now, to make up for the five listeners we have, we can just say that there's a lot of angels. And we, we've all been, you know, vindicated. Um, so I'm, I'm like Duffy. Good for them. It's great. You know, um, I haven't actually heard a full Panic at the Disco album. But you know what? Anytime a band like them... Look, people have the right to protest bands and people have to be upset with the artists and the songs they do and stuff, but don't turn it into some stupid ass thing. And that's what's happened. You know, if you're going to protest a band, protest a band because, you know, they're Gigi Allen or because, you know, they're Gwar or something like it has a reason to be protested. Don't go looking to protest. You want to protest somebody, you know, there are a lot of other people out there that are making, like, you know, misogynistic, race-oriented hate rock that you could be out there protesting, but you're bothering these people. Really? That's what you're doing? So that end of just sort of highlights the absurdity of the whole thing for me, but it's also sort of a sad commentary on where we are, you know, that this is an issue. Um, and that's tragic in and of itself. So, good for Panic at the Disco, although I say that begrudgingly, and um, although I do think Really, what did they give them? Just a thousand? They just gave a thousand dollars to that charity? Yeah, they did a thousand dollars, but they also did uh, something like uh, some percentage off their merch sales from that night show too. Okay, I mean, I still think even though they did that and that, they could do a lot more. But that's just me. I mean, you're millionaires, guys. Help them out, you know. Um, well, but, they've had know. kind of an eventful tour. They also broke the floor of the Tabernacle when they were in town. So, yeah, I mean, they could, they could. But, you know, they might be holding back in case this escalates, too. I get it. So, But, I mean, nothing is better than bad press. And they're going to win this one in the in the sort of public opinion. And it's going to completely sort of get them a nice bounce. I don't know what their sales for albums or downloads was after all of this. But it's certainly going to make a lot of people re-examine them. Like, I probably wouldn't have sought out the music to listen to um, more than I already have. I believe they have a greatest hits album out right now. Oh, oh I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> Wait a minute, how many albums do they have out? Um, I think they have maybe four. 
they have four, they have four albums? Wow. Okay. They have four albums, yeah. Wow. Sometimes my music snobbery of ignoring bands is going to shock when they find how many albums they have. So I apologize. Well, it, it's, it's the exclamation point. It throws people off. Yeah. 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 So what I'm wondering is, I mean, you, you point out that this is going to revitalize, um, people are going to remember that they exist. So I'm wondering, just like, uh, Dan, I'm convinced Dan Brown has a deal with the Catholic Church since every time people start to forget Dan Brown is there, the Catholic Church comes out and condemns him and his sales increase. So I'm wondering, yeah. uh, I'm not, I'm not trying to say there's a, a tie between Westboro and uh, Panic at the Disco, like this is some sort of conspiracy, but it just, it just gives, if, if they start to slump again and the, the feud starts back up, that we might want to re-examine it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I think Westboro could do, I think Westboro could do with like some explanation points in their name. I think I think yeah. they need to be like Godspeed you Black Emperor and just, something like that, yeah. But so it would be a Westboro Baptist exclamation point church. Well, actually, then you put question mark after church. <laughs> no, we do that. Mm. We put question mark. <laughs> Everyone does yeah. when, they, when they say the name. Westboro Baptist Church. Church. What? what? <laughs> uh, no. Just like uh, John... and therapy. <laughs> From Ireland, which is supposed to be <laughs> therapy? Question mark. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I think they're from Ireland, anyway. Yeah, they are. Okay, good. I think. I think they are. Just because uh, the, the cabin fever guys uh, don't like them, apparently. So that's how you get their virus. All right, so. Is the Kenneth of the Disco guy the guy that does the Umbrella comics? No, no, no. That's Gerald Way from, uh, from uh, my chem- formerly of My Chemical Romance because they broke up. I always get those two bands confused. So what? What's that? I always get those bands totally confused. So I know, that's apologies. part of it. Yeah, yeah. You know. My Chemical Romance was... Uh, the, I And my nieces listened to them. My my Chemical Romance was... The difference between them and Panic! at the Disco was that... Was the exclamation point. Because I remember I did a couple of write-ups. Uh, I was going to do... A, I, I did a couple of write-ups about the band for somebody, and the publicist insisted that I use the exclamation point. And I kind of did it the first time, and then they said, okay, so every time you mention the band, you have to use the exclamation point. And I went, then I won't mention the band anymore. And that's why people stopped writing about them. <laughs> now, here's, I mean, there's... Well, a quick question. So, toughly, since... Since you're the expert on the punctuation of Panic at the Disco, <laughs> if you were sure about them, if you were writing about them in a Spanish, uh, like magazine or website, would you have well, yeah. upside down exclamation point at the beginning of their name? Well, see that that the was beginning and end of Panic. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what if what if my stuff gets translated? I mean, that's a problem, and I'm just, I, you know. And what if... also also because I didn't want to bother because you know I really didn't like the band anyway. So, I'm just wondering, I mean, really, like, yeah. like Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Is there an upside down exclamation point before the U? I'm just, I, I wonder about these things because Los I, Campaneros. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, nice. Can can we consult our uh, punctuation expert Din and have her sort of comment on the punctuation of Panic at the Disco? I, I think what we need to do is we need to get Din to do a post about about punctuation and band names in general. Like, you know, uh, Godspeed and, and Panic and, and, uh, Therapy. Check, 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 you know, <laughs> just the use of punctuation. Oh, and Y, there's a band called Y with some question mark, yeah. Yes, yes, there is. 
So, uh, so yes, look, look forward to that at some point in some alternate universe, I guess. All right, so moving right along to um, to something very strange. Uh, well, not not it's not as strange as Panic at the Disco! Exclamation point. Um, so the Tupac musical, um, a Tupac musical. Uh, I can't pronounce anything. Uh, holler if you can hear me. Closed uh, after something like 38 performances, not counting previews. Uh, with 55% of their seats unsold. Um, so, interestingly enough, Saul Williams, who is who was playing the lead in the musical, basically came out and said that the reason that it didn't succeed was racism, uh, which I thought was really interesting, since I read another uh, article talking about um, one of the Loreline producers, as opposed to the people with the huge checkbooks saying that they had basically decided they, they didn't they knew it wasn't going to work on Broadway, but they wanted to have the stamp of Broadway on it and that cost money. Now I don't understand what uh, the stamp of Broadway failure does for a musical because I you know like Vincent Price's Darling of the Day, which I thought was good, that completely bombed. I don't know that it's ever been performed again, or at least not of any wherever any note. So I don't know what that does for you. Um, I'm just really confused as to why, if you were going to do this as a, and, and in essence, for, for those who don't know, it's a jukebox musical. It's not a biopic version of a musical of Tupac's life. It is just they've taken his songs and lyrics and poems and built a story around them, which in that way puts it in the same arena as Cole Porter stuff or anything goes. Or like Rock of Ages. Or like, well, like Rock of Ages. <clears throat> so, jukebox music. Um, what I don't understand is that if you were going to do this, why wouldn't you do it off-Broadway, where it doesn't cost as much, and you can run it longer and workshop it, and, you know, worst-case scenario, you can be, an, it's easier to be an off-Broadway success, um, and then you can maybe come back later and hit Broadway. I mean, um, what is it? Uh, Hedwig is just now hitting Broadway, which which played off Broadway for forever and then was turned into a film and is now with um, um, Neil Patrick Harris. Well, he was in it. Now we're on to somebody else. Oh yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying, you know, yeah. he he basically was took it to Broadway. So yeah, um, they, I don't think they had the long game in mind. Now this is obviously not a, a musical theater podcast, but I just thought it was interesting that they've we've we've had. One of the one of the most modern jukebox musicals ever, because this this actually outdistances Rock of Ages, because that yeah. was at least that was at least nostalgic, whereas this was Tupac, who is you know the '90s, right? Yeah. Well, see if the same people come back with like a Notorious B.I.G. play, huh. and that does better. Oh, trouble. Um. Wow. But, you know, the thing, the thing is, first they tried, I think they were trying because I think they got, uh, Tupac's mom on board. Right. Uh, as one of the producers on this. Although, weirdly, it's not based on Tupac's life because they couldn't get the rights to those. Really? Yes. So they had to build a generic story around his songs. Huh. So, that's why, that's why, if you're wondering, 
and my guess is that they were trying to get the rights to Tupac's life story. Yeah. To actually do the play about Tupac. And it looks like they couldn't. Uh, and at the last minute they had these songs they had to do something around so that you, because a lot of the critics were saying, you know, there, it's kind of vague and there's kind of a, there, it's, the story's kind of generic and it, it a lot of people, I, I think one review that I looked up after I saw this on the agenda said something to the effect of it seemed to be, uh, the story seemed to be a placeholder for his actual bio. Right. So it kind of sounds like the producers couldn't get the rights to Tupac's life story, and they were trying to continue to get it up until the last minute. So they had the rights to his music, they had the rights to his poetry, they just didn't have the rights to his story. Huh. Which is interesting, because that means... Because there's a... There's like a Tupac biopic that's supposed to be... Yeah. Okay. So I'm wondering if they snapped up all the rights because normally well that well honestly you know what in this day and age that makes sense because movies now are becoming musicals almost by default well you've got let's and and just to throw it out there you've got two Jimi hendrix biopics that are coming out almost on top of each other one of which does not have the rights to his music and one of which does huh uh, the the one with Andre 3000 in it is the one that doesn't have the rights to his music, so they said it earlier. So like he's uh, it's like Andre as Jimi Hendrix covering other people's stuff. Weird. But yeah, I, that totally sounds like what's happened. Uh, that the producers couldn't get the rights to Tupac's story, probably because of a movie involvement. Right. And, uh, they kind of had to go with this. Cause you kind of wonder, well, if they were building this generic story, why didn't they use music other than Tupac's? Well, because then it's not, then, then it's not a, a Tupac musical. And you, then you could be doing like a rap hip hop version of Rock of Ages, basically. Well, yes. That, and that probably would have drawn a bigger audience than just this, because you have to go full Tupac or back off, I guess. So, so go. Going full Tupac. Going full Tupac. But yeah, I, I, although I could totally see Puffy now coming out with a PA, uh, with a BIG musical that's, uh, probably gonna be better. Yeah. I could totally see that happening now. But I, you know, I don't know if, if, if the racism tag can be thrown here because it doesn't, it, it doesn't sound like it was a very good musical. And also because, you know, unless you're, you know, unless you're Hedwig or unless you're a Disney produced musical right now, I don't think anybody's having a, a good time with at the box office right now in Broadway. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, I honestly haven't looked at, um, at what the box office is doing, but, but, uh, but no, that's, that makes sense. Unless, unless you have, um, you know, a hook, like a big hook, like a star like Neil Patrick Harris or a known, property like you know little mermaid uh then people won't know to come see you i also wonder how it was advertised but but then again uh who knows but that that is a good question is anyone having a good time box office wise besides the people with deep pockets um rob do you have any thoughts on this well it's interesting i think the first thing you need to think about when you talk about this is that you, you have to, yes, you can make a Tupac music-based musical, but you have to sort of play to your audience. 
I think the general people that would pay a lot of money to go see a night out of theater aren't necessarily people that like Tupac. And what I mean is, like, they may not necessarily be the people that want to or can spend high-end dollars to go see a musical theater production based on Tupac. I, I just think it's, a, it's an audience that, that's a totally different audience. Um, the other interesting part of it, too, is that we're in a generation of people now that don't know who Tupac is, and which is very strange for, for me. But So there, there's not... At the same time, they're doing this musical, but probably, I think Wiggs alluded to this earlier, they're not spending a whole ton of money on promotion or marketing and getting this thing out. Because I didn't know there was a Tupac musical until I read you know, the, the show notes for the show. So that's pretty indicative that if you know average listeners like me don't know about it, then there's a lot of really interesting people that probably would want to see it. But I think a large part of this is the marketing and the getting the word on the street out there. And I think the other thing is, too, is if you're going to make a, a musical based on Tupac, you have to make it be off-Broadway so it doesn't cost a lot and it's easier to go see and you can do more you know, outreach programming and really cool things. You could, I mean, you've got the poetry, you've got the music. There's a lot of other side programming you could work around an off-Broadway, off-Broadway production like that uh, and build on it. And I think that's probably the way to go with it. But it's very sad that, you know, uh, it ran so... It's such a shorter run than they expected. That part of it is very sad. But you have to sort of wonder just, you know, did they have a plan to get from A to B to C to be with with the play, and also you know is the um, how does the story that they use translate to the stage? Does the music of Tupac translate outside of you know a hip hop rap setting? setting? How does that translate? I think those are kind of the big questions with it. Well, and I just checked the um, the ticket price that they had towards the end when they deeply discounted it to try to get. More butts and seats uh, was thirty eight bucks. That's that's a ticket per ticket, which is really low for Broadway. Um, yeah. And uh, what was it? The week uh, this is a Rolling Stone article from July fifteenth. The week before that, they had one hundred fifty five thousand dollars in ticket sales, uh, and if they had sold out, it would have they would have brought in nine hundred seventeen thousand dollars. So you see, okay. that's a bit of a gap. So. I think the other thing is, I mean, and especially since we're talking, you know, it's Tupac's music. Um, there was a lot of that, that uh, particularly the lyrics that's very close to his personal story. And um, even I think he had he, his his family had been saying that, you know, that the, the music was very close to his personal story. So, you know, a lot of people who are fans of Tupac um, may have looked at this and went, yes, but that's this isn't. They're just using, they're just using his music outside of the context in which it was created, right? Uh, which I think might have been an issue if you use if you use music from an artist whose you know whose personal backstory may or may not be very tightly attached, um, and then you try to make a play that is disconnected from that. Um, that that's also a problem. Yeah, and I think the other option besides just doing off Broadway would be to. To do a touring show of it and build, you know, a couple of nights in certain venues, you would get more play than, oh, you're, you're you know, you're on Broadway and it's 38 bucks a ticket per night. 
you know you could you could you could try to build interest rather than just going for it like they did and i'd be curious to see i don't know uh, i mean the, the director is kenny leon who won a tony so i mean these, these were people who were not you know unused to what they were doing like some other musicals that shall remain nameless but um but anyway i just i I think it's fascinating. I think it is a, um, uh, it, it, it is sad in that people are going to look at this from the standpoint of, you know, doing another musical jukebox or otherwise involving rap or hip hop. Um, they're going to think twice about doing it because of the, the box office failure of this. Um, and, uh, you know, just the way producers work and the way their minds work, this could actually, I mean, talk about, the, the racist card, you could have this being interpreted as, well, you know, it's, it's harder for an all black musical to work on Broadway. Therefore, we're not going to attempt it. Now, that might act, that might be true. Not, you know, just based on all kinds of factors, but, you know, it's, it's just the producers for Broadway sometimes work a lot like the producers in Hollywood in that they just take broad interpretations of what's happened. And run with it. So, so it is. It is a bit sad, and it, it is a it is a lost opportunity. I think to have brought more of his more of his stuff to more people. So, but there you go. Um, so moving on then from uh from the from the slightly odd Tupac non Tupac musical, uh, we go into <laughs> we go into the absolutely surreal, and by that I'm talking about. Um, the fact that Casey Kasem, who passed away relatively recently, um, has uh, went missing, and, and by that, and, and by that I mean that he, people didn't know where his body went. Um, not you know, not not three days later the stone rolled away and he was risen. No, it's just his body was missing, and the story has gotten even stranger. In that, and I, I did not know. Rob, you were following this closer than I was, but I did not know that um, his wife had been basically accused, allegedly, cheating on him with a guy who was allegedly living in Ke uh, Casey Kasem's Malibu condo before Kasem died, which is just weird. Um, yeah. And uh, basically. A, a, a private investigator who was ha hired by one of Kasem's daughters uh, found that the body had been taken to Canada. Now, how you transport a, let's just say the word, a corpse across international lines without anyone knowing that it's happened is a bit weird to me. I, I have no idea how that works exactly. Um, but apparently there's all this legal rigmarole going on. Um, and this is incredibly odd. Now, now Rob, you have been, you've been sending me links as, as more stuff gets revealed about this. What, what, what are your thoughts on what the hell's happening if you have any? Well, I, I sent you the link mainly out of a, it was a slow day and I'm like, oh, I gotta find something weird to send a witch. No, no. Um, but I saw this and I was like, okay, this is the weirdest thing. I literally had heard of it ages, and I sort of had this had to um, ping Lidge about it, sort of as a sanity as a sanity guard to make sure that like, am I crazy or is this actually something I really am hearing is happening? And yes, 
um, apparently there's a lull when everyone, you know, thought Casey Kasem was dying and no one could find him. And he was quote unquote missing. And apparently during the time that Casey Kasem was quote unquote missing and everyone thought he was seeking medical treatment outside the country or something, apparently he had already died. But his body was somehow in Canada and his wife had had an affair and the person she having the affair with was living in Casey Kasem's condo in Malibu. So there, there's this back and forth battle over his body. Then there's this sort of like tacky behavior of, you know, poor Casey Kasem, his wife leaving him and, and screwing around on him when he is in the final chapters of, of a severe case of Parkinson's disease. I mean, he, the, the last two or three years of Casey Kasem's life have been racked with very much pain and uh, a lot of suffering from, from all indications. So, all of this on top of that just makes it the most surreal story in a very long time. And basically, she took his body with him when she left California to Montreal, where she's from. And this is kind of where it gets muddy. Like, she wanted to make sure it got buried somewhere else because she didn't want there to be any sort of... um physical tests on the body, and they also sort of, if they knew where it was, then there wouldn't be any sort of contesting wills, there wouldn't be a lot of other things going on, and it's just all so weird. So, yes, somewhere, Casey Casey's body, from which I understand to be involved, that is what I have heard recently, um, which makes it even grosser. Um it's just weird. I mean, it's, it's sad, it's tragic, and it's weird all at the same time. Um, and incredibly and, shady. Yeah, and I mean, as much as as much as you sort of read and say, "Hey, Casey, Casey's body is missing," you have to. The first time you hear this, you just sort of think, "Oh, that's kind of funny. That's great." And then you start getting deeper into thinking about it, and you're like, "This is just horrible," and it is. So. Yes, you have heard it right. Casey Casey's body is a wall, and I don't think there are people in his family outside of his ex-wife. Um, I know he's got a son or a child with his previous wife. They want to know where it is, and apparently she either knows that it's telling or she's misplaced it. Well, that's so, what she was doing before before his death. Yeah, she was doing that business before his death. Um, the three children of uh, Casey Kasem are, have have been in various lawsuits uh, over the last couple of years over his health care and his treatment, um, and, and so uh, there have been there have been this is sort of the continuation of those. Well, it's 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 bizarre, and I, I, I again I that that's the part that I find the strangest is how. How do you get a body across an international border without anyone knowing that you've done it? You know, it's like there, yeah. there, there, there should. How, how did you get it out of the whatever? Wasn't it like the, the? She's the wife, so they can release the body to her. Right, but I mean, but see, to me, missing means you don't know where it is at all. Versus, oh, we yeah. released it to his wife. You know, but it seemed like yeah. for a while there, there was nobody knew what had happened to it at all. Um, it seems like they released it to his wife, and then from there, no one knew where it went. Okay. 
But yeah, so it's you know not the sort of thing one misplaces, uh, not easily. So, uh, but anyway, so very, very strange and sad. And I hope that they find her or him or whatever and lay him to rest properly. Um, very odd. All right, and and very quickly, since you know, although we were just mentioning lawsuits in regards to the uh, uh, the Kasem family and estate, um, it just doesn't feel right unless we don't have a uh, a sort of um, uh, litigation thing. I just wanted to mention that um, Duran Duran has sued their uh, the, the the headline was they sued their fan club, but apparently they sued the company that was running their fan club and have taken their fan club stuff back in-house, as opposed to outsourcing it to this strange company. Um, the, the funny part was they actually came back and clarified that, uh, no, we're not we're not suing our fans. We, this, the fan club was mishandled. So lest we be taken to task for not having, in, a, in, in the musical world of, of mass litigation, not being able to find something, I just wanted to throw that out there so that we could uh, hit our quota for strange stories. Anyone have any reaction to that other than, hey, I didn't know Duran Duran was still around? Well, I know Duran Duran is still around because I feel their tremor in the forest every day. But, um, let's see, where do I start? Um, okay. It's sort of part of this, this whole thing that's sort of happening in a lot of other fandoms and that now a lot of bands and artists instead of having their own sort of old-school fan club that you would join, and it was sort of a personal experience type of a thing, there is a company or two that runs several fan clubs for several different organizations, so pretty uh, people. So basically, they'll do their websites, they'll do the mailings, and it's sort of been become a cottage industry of running fan clubs for more than one thing. So you could have a guy, hopefully at his desk in his office in Miami, and he's working on the new website for Duran Duran's fan page. And he's handling some fan page stuff for that. And he's going to put that away. And when he's done, he's going to work on the, the fan site for Debbie Gibson or Metallica. Because his company handles 5 to 20 different fan clubs and processes all of that. Well, so, I like the Miami part of this. I know. Well, it's just an example. I know you really don't do that. So, um, I just like the idea but, that you could mix up and send like Metallica stuff to Debbie Gibson fans and vice versa. Yeah. But it's sort of in this in this age of electronic age, people do that now. You know, my my first issue is that if you're a fan, if you're a, a, a group or an artist and you want to have a fan club, you got to be a little more sincere about it than farming it out to a company. And then two, if you are going to farm it out to a country, company, you damn well better have your business shit together and know what the hell they're doing. Because at the end of the day, it's your name on it. You know? And I realize Duran Duran are probably way too busy having parties and being cool to sort of take care of this. But, you know, they didn't reveal that their fan club was run by an organization that wasn't affiliated with them or the record label until it was broke. And they had to go back and clarify it. So that's also kind of the thing. I mean, I completely get it. It saves a lot of money. It frees up a lot of work for them. I'm not saying that's a bad idea. Because at the end of the day, if they just want to make records, you know, and they want to have a presence, having somebody handle all of that is not necessarily a bad idea. But, again, 
Ridge, you're a writer. You get it. If you have your books and they're out there in the world, you want to know who is promoting your book and what they're doing. And you want to stay on it. So it's kind of like that. And it's just, they kind of dropped, this happened because they dropped the ball on sort of knowing what the people who were representing them did. The second mistake they did is they let it get out that they were suing their quote-unquote fan club when they should have, the very first instance said, no, it's not our fan club, it's the people that run that, and then sort of explained why they did that. Sort of, you know, because now I'm going to give 30 bucks to Duran Duran, I wanted to feel like I'm giving it to them and not a company. There is sort of that fan connection that we talked about where it feels more esoteric now saying, okay, well, I renew my membership to Duran Duran every year. Um, it's not really Duran Duran that are reading it. It's a guy in an office, and the band's kind of rubber stamping everything. It sort of takes some of the heart of the way of that process. And I think but, that's where the real damage is. But, but, and I hope but I'm making sense. But we're three very cynical old people, and, you know, you kind of know by now, it's like the people on Twitter, half the famous people on Twitter aren't really running their Twitters. Yeah. They're not running but their there Facebooks. Are. There there yeah. are a few people that do it, but you know, there are a lot of like the like the Morrissey thing that happened. You know, Morrissey pop, uh, Morrissey had an official Twitter thing and it turns out it was his management um because Morrissey released her uh, released a statement like a couple of days later saying, I have no technology whatsoever. Um Well and yeah. part of the thing is this, I mean, you look at like famous versions of fan clubs like the Beatles where you yeah. join and they would send you like a Christmas single but I mean that was much more manageable where it was like the one way you had of interacting with your fans apart from live shows and them screaming to the point where I can't listen to your live albums because there's just too much goddamn screaming in the background and it makes my eyes bleed um, was through the post but I can totally see where you would need someone because if I'm if I'm a musician, like you said, and I just want to make albums, or even if I want to have a Twitter, like the fact that there's Tumblr and Pinterest and and all these various social media networks and Facebook, and if I don't understand all that shit, and I don't want to have, I don't want to put forth the the, the effort, it, you know, it's like it's like at one point I got a uh, I wrote to Stephen King, and I got back a postcard. It was a canned postcard, and it basically said, I, I really appreciate your letter, but just understand that I don't respond individually anymore uh, because I, I'm assuming because you wrote to me, you like my stuff and would rather I spent my time working on my stuff. So know that I appreciate it. I might have read it. I, you know, thanks so much. And I know that that was probably handled by somebody in his office. But, I mean, it, it totally makes sense. It's like there's just there are too many ways of interacting with your fans to keep up with it and get any sleep I think so I think at least part of it you'd have to farm out just for your own sanity well I mean the other thing is just with us we have a lot of we don't periodically we, we take like pauses from like posting just because there's just too much you know Yeah. so it's like I can't imagine somebody with like millions of followers going I must post every day I mean the fact that the fact that I, you know, Amanda Palmer's people, uh, most of which are Amanda Palmer and like an assistant, um, respond to everything is nuts. But, but yeah, you have to re you have to figure that you know, some or most of these posts are being handled by, you know, groups of people or some people even have teams 
that re- yeah. that do their that do their social media responses. So uh, you know, I I I think the main thing is um, if 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 in the case of I think what Duran was doing, I think in the case of Duran where they were licensing their name to this club, okay, handle it, you know, handle the mailings and everything. Um, but you do have to pay us because you are in fact making money off our name. You have to pay for our license per the deal. So I I, I think if if you're gonna one, if you're if you're if you're thinking of running somebody's fan club and you don't really have a business plan for doing that other than, oh yeah, we'll just make their website and post a couple of things for them. Um, then, you know, yeah. get ready to get sued. Um, the second thing is, if you're a band, do your homework. Um, uh, if you're going to trust people to, uh, to handle your, to handle something that has your name on it, um, do, do your homework and make sure that, you know, these people are above board. It's just like everything else for non-famous people. Do your homework. Make sure they're above board. So there you have it. Oh, oh go ahead, Rob. Rob, you still there? Uh, is it better? Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was well. I was trying to sort of nudge Tuffy into reminding that if Wedge did his homework, we wouldn't really be above board. Well, so keep that on the down low. We're, we're barely above water, so. <laughs> No, I mean, the interesting thing, too, is that um, Janet was in the R.E.M. fan club. She's her favorite band. And every year at Christmas, she got a CD and a card. And she's like, okay, I know the card was made by someone else, but it looks like they signed it, you know. And just the amount of stuff that she got through the year, it felt really personal, right? Um, I have some other friends that have been in her band fan clubs that would just they pay the fan club and they never get anything. Right. And they felt very bad about that. So I think that the idea of running it, how you interact. I mean, there are still fan clubs that very, very do a very skilled job of doing things by mail, you know. Um, but now a lot of people are like, ooh, if I join the fan club, I get to do a pre-sale for the concert. No, it's not just about the pre-sales and the pre-videos and the pre-audio clips before they come out. You sort of have to have a little more. And I think that, that that's a key thing with this whole thing. And I just think, I don't think anybody's necessarily at fault in Duran Duran's camp. I just think they dropped the ball, you know, um, which is sad. So, Well, that's your pro tip, is do your homework, and also yes. stay in school. Yes. And don't join the Spandau Ballet fan club. Is there a Spandau Ballet fan club? Uh, okay, wait a minute. I'm sure there is. Oh, okay, because, Rob, you, you said that with such specificity that I was wondering, had you joined the Spandau Ballet fan club... And had you had a bad experience with it? No. Okay. But but that's I that's just, you know. Let the record show. It's like, telling, it's like telling people you know not to be near crack. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> that's that's true, everybody. That 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 part is true. <laughs> this is your brain. This is your brain on Spando oh. LA. Any questions? Uh, okay. So moving on to. Um, so, some as we as we rocket into the future of the music industry, um, apparently MTV and Spotify are getting in bed together and joining forces. Um, so basically, as as for, from what I could tell from reading the article, it's primarily going to be 
Spotify playlists that are tied into what MTV is doing. Now, I didn't know MTV still had anything to do with music, so I'm, first of all, confused. I didn't either. Yeah, that, that's a big question when you mention MTV now, is where's the music in the MTV? So, yeah, thank you for bringing that point up. Oh, yeah, no, uh, you know, absolutely. And See, my joke here was that they, that Spotify, that MTV had licensed off the music portions of their programming to Spotify, which means, you know, for the three hours a day overnight that they actually do air music, that's Spotify. So basically, you, they would just, they would just randomly play Spotify songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be, uh, it'd be, uh, it'd be Mastodon. It'd be all Mastodon and Rihanna videos, folks. Oh, wait, no, even. <laughs> No, no, no. Even better is it, it's a Spotify. It randomly plays Spotify songs, and those without videos will just have one of those screensavers that reacts to the music. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would honestly that would be in faster than most of anything else that uh, TV is doing. Now, Let MTV introduce you to fractals, <laughs> and we don't mean the band. Um, but see here, here so. I'm so I don't understand what this is for because I don't now I don't specifically go out looking for playlists, you know. Now maybe I'm in the minority. I don't know, but I don't I don't go out there and go, oh well, let me let me go see what such and so what what the such and so official show playlist is, or let me go see what this this artist or musician's playlist is. I don't do that. I mean, the only, quite honestly, the only playlist that, apart from, like, you know, like Tough With Your Stuff, and some other people that I know personally... Your check is coming. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, although, although, ba although basically... It's okay, Rob, there's not really a check. It's fine. Um, well, considering okay. a musician's bitch about how much money they're making off of streaming, I understand there's no check. Um, but, like the only playlist I've gone to look for is somebody put together a a Boardwalk Empire, all the songs that they featured in Boardwalk Empire playlist, like 300 songs because it's just like okay that's that's the only one I've gone to look for now am I am I in the minority on this and is this brilliant well, I just don't see it. Well, to be fair, I mean, for, for me, I mean, if I'm looking up a playlist for something, it might be like I'm going to IMDb and that's a playlist of like a particular person who's a director or an actor that I look at. I look at that more than music playlists. Now, there are a few, and stuff is probably the same way, as there's a few shows you know of that may be on radio or satellite or online or on Radio 6 or whatever, and you may go to their playlist and check those out just to see what's out there and then go discover on your own. Or uh, what's happening more and more now is you go to a, a blog like, you know, Brooklyn, v uh, Brooklyn Vegan or Slicing Eyeballs or a Pitchfork or whatever. And they will give you sort of a playback, uh, a playlist of, like, videos of the week or something like that. That is a little more user-friendly than this is my radio show with its playlist. Because, uh, honestly, radio playlists don't give you a whole lot of substance. It just tells you name, artist, and, you know, song title, mostly. So the ones you want to seek out are the ones where they have like video links or sound links or things like that that give you a little more bounce, at least for me. I don't spend a whole lot of time looking at playlists and looking at what other people are playing because I want, at least for my show, uh, 
the discovery of me discovering a new band to be part of that journey that my two or three listeners have with me, you know, um, and I don't want to pattern it after something. Now, fortunately, a lot of that also happens in that I'll get a package in the mail and it'll have the press release and it'll say, you heavy rotation at, and it'll list all the shows and maybe certain DJs playing it. So you kind of take it in almost by osmosis. So I kind of was aware what some people are doing, but I don't actively hunt it down just because the amount of time I would have name checking and checking all the other playlists, I could spend just as much time listening to stuff and try to make it work on my end. If that makes any sense at all. No, it does. Okay, good. Tuffley, what's your take on this? Well, it kind of sounds like what MTV's doing. Um, is, uh, you know, they, 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 they're scripted programming shows. They're, uh, they're quote reality shows. They do have, because MTV still licenses the music. Um, people still have music placement on their programs. Um, so I think part of this is, well, hey, uh, cause this is what they always used to do. Which was this song, so such and such song appeared on this episode. You can go to MTV.com and listen to it. Well, now it's going to be, you know, well, we're going to throw up a Spotify playlist. And uh, if you watch this show, uh, you will find out all the songs that we, that we played in this episode, whatever. Um, I think from Spotify's standpoint, I think they're trying to get younger. Um, they're trying to probably get younger people to, you know, A, join the service. And B, you know, once you've gone past that barrier is, you know, you, you to, to get to paying. Um, but the, but I think the first step is they need to get more people into the service. And to be honest, Spotify kind of skews older. And when I say oh, I mean us. Um, so, so they do want younger people kind of into Spotify, because if they don't get younger people into the service, um, that's really where they want to make the money. And or at least for the free side of it, that's where the advertising is. Well, and, so, and because we're old, I mean, we're we're gonna die sooner. So yeah, we 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 have no money. We we're 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 cheap bastards. So they uh, also don't have a whole lot of avenues either. Spotify's kind of like covered in a lot of other avenues because labels doing their own in-house thing, and there's other sources of it. So for them to do a deal with MTV kind of makes sense because it's an outlet and a conduit that they can get to. Without having any competition. And Apple's gonna have beats. So. Yeah. Which will be interesting. I, I'm, I am, I am really curious to see how this is gonna shake out, particularly with Apple and beats. Um, what technologies from beats and mog are gonna be used yeah. that, that end up in iTunes. And I think that's, that's really what we're talking about. Um, and why this partnership's mm-hmm. there because Spotify needs to get people through the door. Before Apple does what they're going to do with Spotify and uh, with uh, sorry with uh, Beats and Mog, so now that we're thinking about all this stuff, that makes me happy. Rob, you're it up again. Okay, there. Okay, there's great thing about this that me. Don't pick it up. Are you there? Yeah, is that better? Yeah, it's better. Don't move. Okay. Hey. Okay. The part of this that makes me really happy is that in other markets. Besides North America, MTV is still video heavy. So if you go to Europe, if you go to Asia, things like that, MTV is still a video heavy network, which is great. Now, the deal with Spotify and MTV means two things. One, 
it opens up MTV in America maybe doing more with videos. But two, it opens the floodgates that I at least have wanted so long in that now all of the MTVs are going to be sort of linked with Spotify in one network, which also opens up, conversely, Spotify, so that there's recordings that are European recordings and imports and things that they haven't been able to get on the American Spotify is now, as a part of this deal, going to open up. So it's a double door, which for me is exciting, because there's a lot of cool stuff. I, I mean, if I could just get Spotify Europe, I would do that, because there's a whole bunch of great stuff on that site that we can't get on ours. And this opens that door a little bit, which is which is amazing. Well, and and while we're on the topic of <coughs> Apple versus uh, Spotify for streaming, let's let's go ahead and bring the, uh, the the third party in that I wanted to talk about was that since we've last been together, Amazon, and I know we talked about this toughly on Justice a little bit, but uh, but Amazon Prime has launched their music streaming thing as well, um, which. Which is another player in this, I would think, simply because Amazon's the goddamn big. Yeah, and although Amazon's got a long way to go with their service before they can even get close to being where Spotify and Beats are. Right. Honestly. Um, but I think. But mostly in terms of like, mostly in terms of like catalog, uh, ease of use. Um, you know, it's, you know, I don't even think people, people can't make playlists. Amazon is making playlists internally, but you can't make them and you can't put them on the service. So that's, I, I don't know. I, so, so I, I think Amazon's, Amazon has a music service to say they have a music service, I think at this point. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. Is Amazon going to sort of sit back and see what what features Spotify and Apple start throwing across, lobbing across at each other uh, in a war, and then just absorbing everything and being a better service later, which is what Amazon tends to do. Right. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. But Amazon Music is not Music Unlimited is nowhere close to 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 either Spotify or Beats or even iTunes Radio, which is horrible. So. Well, but here, here's the thing that I find interesting about, about Amazon is I think you're right in that they, they, they can afford to play the long game, which is, whereas, let's say, you know, Spotify has itself. That's the platform. Yeah. And Apple has iOS, which is its platform, which, which then extends beyond that to people who use iTunes and whatnot, which is pretty broad. Everybody uses Amazon. I mean, so, so there, you you have a you have a music service where whereas you know I'm a, I'm using an Apple product, therefore I am exposed to being able to order stuff from Apple. Um, but I, you know I could go to order like you know towels or uh, you know hell I don't know a shower curtain and be exposed to the fact that now I can get music with this. And they've opened it up to I mean the Prime service used to be simply well you get like free two-day shipping yeah free shipping but that but they've just been steadily adding stuff to it so i mean well i I think amazon has figured out the same thing apple figured out a long time ago with the i with the you know itunes is that you know if you can keep people from leaving um that's pretty big 
You know, if you can keep people from leaving your service and going somewhere else to get whatever it is you don't have, um, that's that's very important. Um, so, you know, if you can keep Amazon's ecosystem is is everything. Um, it, it's larger. It's a larger ecosystem than Apple's is. So it is in Amazon's best interest to make sure you don't leave for any reason. Well, and, and even and even better, it's it's one of those things where, um, as well as as well as trying to have an actual streaming service, it becomes another reason to join Prime. Yeah. Once you're in Prime, you know it's 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 like, like I think I think what I was trying to say is it's even a bigger ecosystem than Apple has because Amazon actually deals in physical products uh-huh. and physically shipping. So and and I'm probably just restating what you've already said in a way that makes sense in my primitive brain. But um but but yeah basically it's like one of those things where once you're in prime and I you're in prime, I know we talked about this on Justice and so am I. Um and and Amazon Prime, the, the first thing that you get from Amazon Prime, by the way, is the superhero Ultra Eye. And two people will get that joke. Uh but basically once you've got that, then suddenly Amazon becomes your place of choice. Because who doesn't want two-day shipping for anything? It, the, 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 the fact it will save your ass at Christmas time is worth the price of admission. This is someone whose ass has been saved multiple times. So, um, but yeah, I think it's, I, I think it just feeds off itself. Amazon is sort of like a very slow-moving industry blob in that it just wants to absorb and absorb and absorb. Uh, and, you know, I think, I think, like you said, I mean, it can slowly move forward and slowly improve its product while at the same time watching the other streaming services attack each other. And it's just, it's, it's sort of the uh, slow and steady wins the race model, I think. And here's the thing. It's sort of an odd man out scenario now because all Apple, really all Apple and Amazon have to do is wait for Spotify to die now. That's, that's based, I, I'm not predicting that, but I'm just saying of the players, of the players on the table, um, Apple has Beats, Amazon has Amazon, so they can just kind of sit back and wait. Um, Spotify is still an independently owned service. Um, despite the fact that it has all of the record labels on board and they own a piece of it, Spotify still has yet to show a profit. Um, now Beats doesn't have to show a profit because Beats has been absorbed by Apple and the Amazon service doesn't have to show a profit because it's a loss. It's a, it's, you know, it's a loss leader. It's, you know, it's what, what you used to do with Best Buy when, you know, Hey, we've got Guns N' Roses albums for seven bucks, uh, by a refrigerator. Um, you know, it's exactly. that, that is literally exactly. what it is. Well, that's how, that's how Axl Rose got big, by the way. Yes. Yes. And that and too much reggae. Um, but, uh, but Spotify is, you know, Spotify is just on its own. Um, because no one's bought Spotify yet. Now I'll find it. Now I will find it very interesting. I will be very interested to see. And I've, the rumor has made itself around that maybe, you know, somebody might absorb Spotify. Somebody might make a play on Spotify. I'm guessing that's probably Microsoft. Um, but that'll be interesting because they're, they're the only player left that doesn't have one of these. So, you know, they may make a move for that, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how long Spotify goes it by itself before it gets picked up or just dies. Uh, I kind of hope that doesn't happen, 
Well, yeah. But uh, but um, it'll be interesting to see because it, it it's sort of now there are because Beats has been picked up by Apple and because Amazon has their service. It's 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 Spotify's got to make money now because they're the only they're the only one on the table that has to show a profit and has investors. Right. And, uh, you know, honestly, I would uh, I would Microsoft getting into this. It's like, why would you? I mean, you know what I mean? It's like it's like to me that almost I mean, I know that they're they're trying to broaden and stuff and they're trying to get beyond the fact that their operating system is shit. But I mean, I'm like, uh, you know, to me, that's almost like, well, Nabisco has decided to start making cars. I mean, it's just it seems weird to me. Why would you why would you go that route? Well, the Amazon position, uh, the, the Microsoft position seems to be changing weekly. They did just close up their entertainment services division. Um, with the Xbox entertainment division, um, I think they just, they just killed that. Right. Um, so, um, I think at one point they may have been interested in Spotify or at least looking at Spotify to enhance their offerings via Xbox and mobile. And they may still be doing that. Right. Since Microsoft's focus is still mobile, and that's a lot of where Spotify's focus is going, um, but and, and, and but the fallback to that is too, Microsoft has had Skype for forever, and they really haven't done anything with it, except to make it worse. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, what I honestly think I, I would be interested to see if um, if Amazon would buy Spotify, and the reason for that is that they seem to be really good at taking stuff and absorbing it completely like audible like zappos like here's what we need this therefore we shall acquire it now i think the only stumbling block to that is the percentage of spotify that the music industry already owns yeah um amazon doesn't like the idea of people owning other bits of them right um which i think is the stumbling block which is why they haven't made a move against spotify because uh there's i think the rec- each each of the labels owns somewhere in the neighborhood of between two and uh, two and five percent of the company, um, and they don't really like that. Hmm. Well, yes, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what the hell happens with that because something is definitely going to. So anyway, this sort of brings us to our medium topic since we don't I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call it a big topic um, since we are. Just, <laughs> Since we are, it's it's sort of it's sort of a, it's a uh, it's a grande topic as opposed to a benti topic. We've had a dinner made up of appetizers. Yes, this is this is this is podcasting <laughs> tapas, is I guess what we're saying. Um, yeah. So so the the topic is what I did on my summer vacation since we've been away and there's been things happening uh, to catch up with because um, this is where this podcast is where I get my music information as well because oh, I, I'm sorry. I listen to these two guys and then I go listen to stuff. Um, so, uh, so yes, I wanted to just <clears throat> for us sort of put our heads together and, and talk about what, you know, this year so far, what's been good, what's been bad, what's been interesting and, uh, you know, where we are with stuff. So, um, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about what, let's, let's be positive. Let's lead positive. Like we did the entire podcast. What, what, if, what have you really liked? Or been or been surprised that you liked thus far in the year. I mean, toughly, what 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 does that fall to mind for you? Um. Well, if I'm gonna go with the thing I've liked the most this year, I'm gonna go with the Saint Vincent record because my God, that's a wonderful album. Which record? I'm sorry. Uh, the Saint Vincent record. 
Okay, that's what. All right. That is that that is nice. That is nice. And if you don't have it, I believe it was on sale really cheap from a couple of places uh, uh, for the last couple of weeks. So you have no excuse. Go get it. Um, so the St. Vincent record, obviously, um, the Mastodon record that came out like a couple of weeks ago is just great. Just wonderful, hard, heavy shit. And it's wonderful. Um, uh, so I'll go with that. Um, there are a couple of things that are about to come down the pike uh, that are really good. Uh, apparently, I, I posted this, this, I swear to God, like yesterday. Um, Death from Above, 1979. Oh, yeah. New stuff. Oh, oh my God. Oh. oh, That was really nice. Oh, That single was really nice. Yes, yes, yes. It's called Trainwreck 1979. It's, it's, it's pretty badass. Uh, so uh, go get that. And... Um, Delta Spirit's got a record coming out. Uh, Ravenettes have a record that just came out that is really good. Um, and um, what else? Uh, I've been listening to the Morrissey record. I'm a little on the fence about the Morrissey record. I don't know. So am I. Yeah. So am I. I, I, I. And here's the thing. It's not like I see him tour anyway, So because he always cancels because I live in Atlanta. So, um, you know, it's, it's not like I'm basing it on the live versions, but I just, I'm on the fence on this one. I don't know why, but, um, and then, uh, no, I think you're, I think you're right with that. Yeah. And, um, Phil, Phil Silway from Radiohead, the drummer from Radiohead, who did a really great solo record a couple of years ago is coming out with another one very soon, uh, which, uh, there's a single from that called coming up from air, uh, which is really nice. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, uh, other than avoiding festivals, because apparently, you know, apparently Outcast is playing everywhere. So I've been listening to a lot of Outcast. <laughs> and, and that's about it really. So okay. far. Okay, cool. Uh, Rob, what have you liked? Well, uh, let me just, let, what let did me I leave for you? Um, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. I just, I made a really long list, but I won't touch it all. Uh, the most recent thing I've really liked is this thing called Got a Girl, which is the new project from Dan the Automator. Remember him? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And the actress Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Is that who that is? Yeah. And okay. It's, it, it's sort of a knockoff of, like, the French 60s pop records, sort of the, uh, uh, you know, Ellen Birkin, sort of Serge Gainsbourg type of stuff. And if you like things like the Thievery Corporation – or any of the Dan the Automator stuff, you'll like that. I, I just think it's great. And um, I apologize in advance. It's taken me forever to get around to the new Beck record, but it's it's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, and it's not it's not because I disliked it or didn't want to. It's just literally I've had so much stuff that was new and upcoming bands that I'm like, well, the Beck record isn't going anywhere. I'm going to hear about it all year. I better check it out. Uh, so that's and kind it's of not the, the happiest thing. record on the planet. Well, Which is why I like it. Yeah. And part of, part of the thing, too, about, about approaching Beck is you never know which Beck you're getting, you know? I know. Because it, it's like, I, sw I swear to God, he, he seems to alternate between serious Beck and, oh, this is the what-the-fuck Beck that I have no idea what the, like, you know, you, you get, what, a stereopathetic soul manure or whatever, where you go, what? What is this? Um, and, then, and then there was... Yeah. Then he, then he seems to put out albums stealth-wise that I just find later, I think I've mentioned. Like, Mutations I found two years later and went, 
this is amazing. What is this? So yeah, and I, and I think the thing with Morning Phase with me, what threw me was because he had released a couple of singles before Morning Phase came out that weren't a weren't on the record and b weren't the Morning Phase sound. I guess he was and, Yeah, and I guess and I guess that might have been back kind of putting out other ideas ahead of morning phase. And I'm not really sure what that was, but yeah. which is the other Beck, uh, which I thought, Oh great. This is what the album's going to be like. And then that totally wasn't it. <laughs> so I, that that's what kind of, I did enjoy it eventually, but it, but I, I agree with that. It took me a while because the sound of it just threw me off. Mm. And, um, the other record that I like, and the comeback has been pretty big, is the Bob Mould record, Beauty and Ruin. Oh, if, that's lovely. If, if you like your if you like your rock and roll loud, my God. I mean, um, it sounds like it's the closest thing to a Who's Do record we're probably going to get out of all the Bob Mould records, but it's, it's pretty damn good. So I do like that. It's called Beauty and Ruin. Um, in this sort of weird droney catalog uh, category, uh, a band called Craft Spells from Seattle. Um, they're really great. They're on captured tracks. They have an album called, called Nausea that I like a lot. Um, likewise, a band uh, called Warpaint. I've been going on about Warpaint forever. Um, I just think they're great. They're self-titled new albums out. Um, also, War on Drugs, Lost in the Dream, which may be behind, behind the Beck record and the St. Vincent record is the best records of the year. Um, they just really have a sense of melody. They have a sense of timing, and it's really great stuff. Um, I also, I'm also kind of another record that's kind of like the Beck record in, in in its tone of not being the cheerfulest record in the world is the Damon Albarn record. Oh yeah, which uh, Everyday Robots, which I was kind of on the fence with at first, but I've learned to really like it. I and do he has like a the track Mr. on the Lucy soundtrack as well. Yeah, I do like the Mister uh, Mister Tango track. Basically, if you haven't heard that, uh, it's it's upbeat and basically. He wrote a song about an elephant in um, Africa that was getting released into the wild, and he wrote a song for the elephant. And um, it's just sort of got this sort of it's the closest thing to Damon Albarn making a failure record that we're ever going to get. Um, I do like that. Uh, I will echo you, Tuffley, on the St. Vincent record. It's great. I am in the minority of people that will go see her open up for um, the Black Keys and then probably go leave. Um, also a band from a band from uh, Illinois that's sort of getting a bit of a buzz now, the Orwells. They have an album called Disgraceland that is just sort of all over the map, but it's really, really good. I like that a lot. Uh, I do, it's taken a while, and I can't even believe I'm saying this, but I finally like a new Echo and the Buddyman record. They haven't, they put out albums, of course, over the last decade, but they always put out albums that had like one or two great songs and the rest of it was rubbish, which is why whenever you go to your local record store, any of the Echo and the Bunnyman albums after the one with Lips Like Sugar on it are always five ninety nine or whatever in the cheap end, that's why. This that one, was, Meteorites. That was, that was the Ian's playing Cemeteries phase. Yeah. Yeah. And um, But uh, the, the new record, uh, Meteorites, sort of has that Killing Moon, Ocean Rain kind of feel to it. And it's really, really, really quite good. So I, I, I do want to recommend that. Um, also, Hyperbubble have a new album out. It's a soundtrack that they did for a B-movie that a friend of theirs did called Attack of the Titans. It's just absurdly silly and fun. If you like sort of, you know, your light Devo-y kind of space pop, I recommend that. 
Uh, Roddy Frame from Aztec Camera, his Seven Dials album is finally out here, um, which I like. And I really like stuff. This is the one I thought you and I would probably uh, fight over, the new LaRue record. Um, oh, yeah. Trouble in Paradise. I really thought the LaRue re- record was going to be sort of a half-ass, half-ass, not as good as the first record kind of deal. I just yeah. wasn't sure the staying power that they would have, but it's surprisingly really good, and there's a maturation going on. And she's got a better voice than I thought she had, so I do like that. And um, It's weird because I liked the, 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 the LaRue album, the second LaRue album, and it's also the same effect kind of with the, with the Lana Del Rey record, where the song selection seems to be better. Yeah. It's like it's in both cases it's like the song selection is better and it feels like there aren't so many hands involved and it sounds yeah, really and, good. And this LaRue record it sounds like they didn't sort they pulled back the overproduction. Yeah. So that's really nice. Um which is great cuz it's not as sort of big and as the last record was. Sort of in, in like very loud and big. Um I also like this band called Beverly which which is a side project of Frankie Rose. Uh, I love Frankie Rose. I could go on about about her forever. But the band's called Beverly, and, and uh, the album's called Careers. It's a side project. Basically, if you like Frankie Rose, but you want to hear more traditional rock songs from her, this is the record you want to get. And then an interesting thing I got that the people at the label kept pushing on me and telling me I was going to like, and I didn't think I was, is there's kind of this movement now in sort of indie rock and college radio for like this indie soul thing going on. And... It's not as big as Janelle Monet, but it's kind of like that door opened with her and Sharon Jones to like all these sort of more soul-sounding bands breaking on indie charts and college stations. But there's a band called Jungle, and uh, their album is called Jungle, and their song Busy Earning. It's kind of like it's kind of like a cross between Cool and the Gang and Chromio, you know. Um, but I really like it. It's got a sort of feel to it, and if you like just good soul, like that as well. Um, Are some of the Go and, Team people on, on, in, in that group? I think I, I, I thought think I they might be. I okay. think they might be, but I'm not completely, absolutely sure on that. Because there's um, a bit, there's there's a lot of Go Team ish stuff on that record. Yeah, and I really like. I had the wish to listen to because I was, I was kind of like, okay, everybody I know has different opinions on this. I'm going to go to Wiz with it because he's got a fairly open-minded sense of music, and you know, I won't. Uh, I'll get a really good gauge from, from him as opposed to some other folks. So uh, I do like that a lot. And the new Roseanne Cash record is just outstanding, by the way, as well, if you can um, find time to throw that on your turntables. And I, I will stop there because there's just so much. The, the great thing about us being gone so long is there's just been so many great records. It's, it's painful how many great records are coming out right now. There's an Interpol record coming. There's a new Grimes record coming. Um, I am interested kind of in hearing more from Tweedy, which is Jeff Tweedy from Wilco's folk band. Uh, His son wanted to be in a band because he's a drummer. So he said, okay, I'll be in a band with you. Uh, So it's basically Jeff Tweedy humoring his kid and being in a band with him. Uh, I'm kind of curious to see where that's going to sound, where that's going to go. And um, yeah, that's kind of the Ting Tings have a new, single called Ron Club. If you hear that, you can tell the Ting Tings have been listening to a lot of Daft Punk. And so you're finding more and more of these sort of dance records trying to strike on that sort of Daft Punk, get lucky sound. 
Um, that's sort of the copied sound of a late summer right now, I think. And I, that'll be interesting to see where that goes musically. And then just for my own sake, I've been listening to um, a couple quick things. Uh, the soundtrack to Across 125th Street, uh, Bobby Womack died recently, and it's an amazing soundtrack. He did the music on it, and it's incredible. And then also, the I went back uh, last month and listened to the, or last week, and listened to the very first Ramones record all the way through, which I haven't done in years, because uh, Tommy Ramone died. And it's great. I mean, that, that first Ramones record is arguably probably one of the best punk records ever made. So I know I'm going back in time a little bit with those two, but um, throwing that in as well. And that's it. I mean, that's, there's just been a ton and ton and ton of great records, and it's Definitely, I can't remember a harder, having a harder time keeping up with things. Have you? Um, I've, I, I think I had a really hard time last year. Um, I've been kind of keeping – what happened? Because I had had this thought, well, well, I'll just do Randomizer every week this year. And I decided immediately not to do that um, because there's so much stuff. Um, but I did find myself finally coming to last month going, yeah, okay, it's time to take the break. When uh, when stuff was starting to dry up after a, a record store day, so uh, but yeah, it's been it's been crazy. And there's not really a definitive place this year. I mean, there's a lot of records still coming out of Brooklyn, but there's not one city that's like the scene, which is which is nice to see. Um, uh, at least for me, I mean, I like not having one city like oh, this is the Seattle sound or this is the Portland sound. I like the fact that. There's a lot of great records coming out of a lot of great places. That's cool. And it's also it's also not one genre. There's yeah. a lot of different there's a lot of different like micro scenes that are throwing stuff out there, like uh, you know, uh just just a lot of different styles and a lot of diversity. So it's not like, you know, it's not like a mm-hmm. like what was it, like a couple of years ago where we just got inundated with like a lot of folk bands? Yes. Which some of it was great and some of it was not so great. So, yeah. so yes, uh, we're not getting like an inundation of like you know, you know, some like a lot of remix acts or anything like that. But but it's it's very interesting. It's very diverse, and that's what you want. You don't want a glut yeah. of like uh, you know, slacker rock because then everyone just doesn't want to do anything. So. That's cool. Um, all right, so for my stuff I've liked thus far this year, uh, <clears throat> uh, Echo on the Beck and also St. Vincent, um, I did like the um, uh, half of, and it's an EP, so there's only like six songs, but half of uh, Do It Again, the new EP by Rocksop and Robin. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Half I absolutely love. The other half is like, meh. But, was it that ten-minute robot thing about robots having sex? The thing that you didn't like, or uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't even remember. I, I don't even remember that song. So there was like a ten-minute song where it's like Robin having a dialogue with a robot. Okay. Yes. No, I did not like that song. That was like that was the eleven-minute thing where I'm sitting there going, "Okay, guys, concept record, stop." Um, yeah. And then they did. They stopped, and the rest of it's great. Yeah, and uh, but like the nine-minute song "Monument" is excellent. Yeah, and just just when you thought, uh, just when you thought, wow, this is drawing out to oh horns. Okay, good. Uh, they they knew what I needed. 
Um, also, I, I did enjoy uh, Johnny Cash Out Among the Stars. Um, yeah. so there's, a, there's a lot of good stuff on there. Um, the Cautionary Tales album by Eels um, is good. Uh, also, uh, Twist is the New Twerk, the postmodern jukebox album, has some excellent uh, vintage, quote-unquote, covers of modern songs. That's good. Um, I, I, I have not listened to all of it, but the parts of uh, Strangulation, which is the new album from Tech 9 uh, I'm, I'm quite enjoying. Um, and uh, I've not heard the full album or EP, and I understand that seeing them live is really pretentious. But the track, the single Animals by Ghost of a Sabertooth Tiger, uh, Sean Lennon's band, yes, is a great track. I, I like I like the studio version of that band, but yes, I've heard stories about the live the live act being. Uh, oh, if, I forget what the the talk show was, but they were on like David Letterman or something, and it's just like we don't need dancers in animal masks. That's not you're you, you know you're not you're not polyphonic spree. If there's people on the stage, I want them making noise. Okay, seriously. Um, so that's the stuff that I've I've really liked thus far. Um, now, is there anything that you guys were looking forward to that you were like, uh, when it came out, it just well, fell on his face? Well, I, I, I did want to ask you something real quick. Go ahead, go ahead. I, you mentioned the Eels record, which I've heard as well. Why do you think, because this is about two or three really solid records that have been, that have been down from the Eels now in a row. Yeah. Why isn't that a band that's more popular and out there? Because that record is really amazing. Um. I, have, I just have, I can't understand it. I don't understand why people don't. I think the it. subject matter. I think it's just that album tends that the last couple of Eels records. The one before that was a really up record, and then the last three or four Eels records are really downers. Yeah, and it's okay, harder right? to get excited about relentlessly down albums. Uh, you know what I mean. I don't know. I, <laughs> I I kind of do, but then again, I'm on different yeah. bits. Some... Yeah, so I, that that would be my guess, but yes, really, really brilliant stuff, though. Yeah, I, I Rob, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, I he, he, the band is well thought of. Yeah, the band is well spoken of, but that, you know, as yeah. we all know, that doesn't trans. Excuse me, that doesn't translate into um, sales, especially these days. You know. Didn't he get yeah. like a like a what was it the what, what was it the Queen gave him last week in in England? Didn't he have like the the the, the passage rights through London or something? Uh, oh wow! Uh, what, let's see. I, I saw. I was reading that. Yeah, I saw yeah. something about. And like, and, yeah, I don't remember what exactly it was. But like he wow, was p- I, bestowed some sort of passage through London thing because he was reading it. There's a video of him reading it, and there's he gets to a line about his sheep can go through the city of London now. Yes, uh, freedom, the freedom of the city of London. Yes. <laughs> now I thought the, I thought the sheep thing was a uh, was like an urban myth, but that's ac- that's true. That's actually in there. He was reading it. It's actually in there. Oh, nice. So yes, I'm I'm looking at the the Billboard article where he. Um, uh, he says in, in 2010, uh, cops questioned him on suspicions of being a terrorist while he was walking through Hyde Park. So 
He says, quote, to go from being a suspected terrorist to having the freedom of the city is quite amazing. <laughs> nice. nice. Very nice. And then, toughly, and which you can weigh into, am I the only person that was grossly disappointed in the Pixies record? Well, here's the thing. Not surprised, the, but I, yeah. Here's the thing with the Pixies record. The, the, they put out two EPs last year, and the album is literally, okay, so you remember the thing that Robin did a couple of years ago where she put out three records, and then she compiled the best tracks from the three little records she put out yeah. to the main Body Talk record? Yeah. Okay, that's what the Pixies did, except the difference between what the Pixies did and what Robin did is that some of the stuff the Pixies chose on the on the final version of the album weren't that good. Yeah. yeah. All of the Robin stuff was really good, so she had a hard choice on that. But there were a lot of just floater tracks that just ended up on uh, on Indie Cindy that just, yeah. So, but no, most of that material was released like last over the last year. So I remember that, yeah. But it was already out there, so it was sort of like... It hurt. I, it hurt. I, I didn't see a reason for that record to be out because they'd already put two EPs out. So... Yeah. Yeah, and and, and again, there were, there were tracks on the EPs that I enjoyed, but it, it, there, there was, you know... So it was hit and, hit, hit and miss, basically. But, but none of it actually... Yeah. But none of it actually was like you know, hugely successful for me. Hence, I didn't bring it up, so. And yeah. and a lot of it did sound like Frank Black solo songs. Mm, yeah. yeah. It really did. And, and even I'd read some of the interviews where he had said, well, I had these songs already. Huh. So it's sort of like, yeah, okay. So they're, 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 you know, they're Frank Black records. So, so I don't, but here's the thing. I, I, I like Frank Black records, but, I don't enjoy somebody foisting. I have this theory about, and I've mentioned this before where, you know, a lot of people do solo albums that sound exactly like the band they're in. Um, and Frank Black records don't sound like Pixies records. They really don't. Um, and, and I, and I hate to say it. The thing that's missing is Kim. Yeah. <laughs> really? That that's the thing that's missing. And they keep wanting to avoid that subject, but that's the thing that's missing from the band. Uh, yeah. is Kim. So, so if this is so, if this is a, a a band that was formerly a band, sort of masquerading as a a Frank Black solo project or vice versa, this is sort of like the Pixies version of the Final Cut. Kind yeah. of, yeah. That's a really sad way to look at it, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, to be fair, I, I enjoyed the final cut, but yeah. Well, that's yeah. true, but the more you read about, you know, what what happened with, you know, when they made the wall and, and the final cut and how that came about and the, a lot of the, the, the stabbing on either ends of the front to get to that record, it, it, it's really sad. Yeah. <laughs> Although, and we must mention the fact that there is apparently a new Pink Floyd album coming out um, is, is both exhilarating and terrifying. That's curious. And I, if I understand it correctly, that is an instrumental, instrumental stuff that they started working on with Division Bell. And then they just went back and they've been working on it for, they've been noodling with it for a while and now they're going to finish it. Is that, is that what, am I hearing that right? 
Uh, I honestly, I it's it's called the Endless River. Because uh, they were saying it was uh, Gilmore was saying it's it's pretty much an instrumental record. I had I had not heard uh, details on it other than apparently it was it was tweeted, uh, you know, before it was supposed to be out. But yeah, it, 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 I'm just reading it here uh, on Wikipedia, which is always right. Um, uh, mostly instrumental and ambient. Yeah. Oh, so, but yes. Um, originally recorded under the tentative title of The Big Spliff. Is that possibly accurate? Well, it's, <laughs> it's on Wikipedia, so it must be true. Um, but uh, but yeah, I. Uh, but but that that explains how you can have Pink Floyd without. Uh, Richard Wright, because you've basically got Richard Wright in there. And I don't think Waters is on this either. Mm, no. No. Because this is, again, this is coming from, mo a lot of this is coming from Division Bell sessions, so Waters isn't on this. No, and Waters I don't think would be, because he, he I think he described Division Bell as a, a, a pretty decent impersonation of Pink Floyd. Yeah. Paraphrase. But he doesn't need any help. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. But anyway, so yeah, I, I I bring that up because it just it just occurred to me since I mentioned the final cut. Um, uh, anything else that, before I jump in? Anything else? Uh, no, sorry, I didn't mean to jump off of that. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You're fine. Um, well, I'll I'll throw out that. Um, uh, okay, I, you know, not the biggest Lily Allen fan, but the the tracks I do like of hers are fun and well written, right? With, with good lyrics. Um, there is nothing on the new album, Jesus that appeals to me at all, since, from what I can tell, from, from as much of it as I, you know, I, I don't listen to an entire track. If, like, the first couple of minutes aren't doing anything for me, I'm not, as, you know, expecting the, the next two or three minutes to do anything for me either. No, um, me neither. Yeah, so, but lyrics about the most mundane things ever. And... Not that you can't have songs about mundane subjects, but they need to at least be, I don't know, interesting. Um, and there's just absolutely nothing on there that I find interesting, which is sad. Um, so, you know, that I thought was a, uh, uh, a, bit, of a, a bit of a weird thing. Um, the other is, uh, and not, and not a, a huge... Uh, problem, but I, I did enjoy the Dum Dum Girls EP that they put out. Um, but, yeah. But I did enjoy it much, much more than the album. Too true. Um, yeah. So okay, good. I'm not. I'm not alone in that. I feel. I feel better already. I mean, I do like Too True, but then I really actually like the Dum Dum Girls. But it's, it's if they would have picked two or three different songs on True True on Too True, it wouldn't have sort of fallen as flat. Right. I, I, I think I think the track selection sank it because I think there's maybe six good songs on there, and if they would have played around with it a little more and made it, I think it could have been better. Uh, and the uh, I think the biggest disappointment though is I know that it's uh, trendy to hate on Skrillex because uh, he's got strange hair and he's very popular, and he, when he plays live shows, he talks too much, but. Because uh, I don't understand. Don't don't turn down the music and let the crowd sing for you. Don't don't try to make them be your live musicians just because everything you do is recorded. That's fine. I'm glad you're making that much money, but for God's sake. But what I, what uh, Recess, his first full length album, 
is really bad. And what I, it has nothing in it that I like about Skrillex, which is that he sort of takes the dubstep noise aspect and triples it and makes it sound slightly evil, which is what I enjoyed about the like the the Bangarang EP and such, is that it's just noisy, but but a, but a calculated noisy. Well, it's yeah. also harder for DJs, or you know. It's harder for DJ-based records to kind of hold something through the course of an album, if that makes sense. There are very few guys that can pull that off. Well, somewhat. But, I mean, like, you know, Nero did it with Welcome Reality. Um, Joker did it with Vision. um, And Glitch Mob released an album this year, which I I quite like. Uh, Love, Death, and Mortality, I think. And, And Burial, too, did the same thing. Yeah, yeah. But see, Burial still puts out EPs. Oh yeah, EPs with just two songs on them. One of my that, that's and that and that's what I'm saying. I mean, so, some DJs are better doing. And I think Skrillex is probably one of them that can take a smaller concept and and work it out. Right. But I think when you try to take that same concept that may fit an EP and try to go a full album length by it, doesn't necessarily work. Right. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Because I think, and the the one I point to, uh, probably the one I point to the most is Girl Talk. Because, you know, it's it's cute. You can do a couple of cute mashups and cut-ups and it works. But then you try to do a whole album of it and it uh, falls on its face. Yeah. But he's great live. It's fun to watch him do it live and it's fun to watch people go nuts over this stuff live. But on on a record where you're trying to take that and go from point A to point B... It doesn't work. It's the short attention span. Yeah. They rely on the short attention span to make it work. And if you want more than that, you don't like it. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that um, you're saying it doesn't doesn't really work on an album length, but here's what's interesting. Recess, the running time is 46 minutes. Mm-hmm. Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites, which which admittedly has like a bunch of remixes on it, is 44 minutes. And Bangarang is only 30 minutes. So it's like, it's amazing how, even if you go to Bangarang, which is mostly songs and not remixes. Yeah. It's amazing what those 16 minutes apparently can do for you or against you. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, Recess just did, did nothing for me. And, you know, I, I, was, I was sort of sad because, you know, since, since Rob turned me on to dubstep, which, you know, basically means that I have to, Wear headphones whenever I'm listening to music in my house. Don't apologize to me. Apologize to my family. You said you you sounded like you were trapped under a boulder. What was that? I I said I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't want your wife just to slap me when I see her. (laughs) She's had an opportunity and she hasn't taken it, so I think you're fine. It'll it'll be like Indiana Jones. He just walks into her room high and just gets slapped. I don't want to be like that. Uh, I, I'm unique in my musical tastes in this house. Um, but anyway, so yeah, that was that was mine. Um, so, so, so go ahead, Zeppelin. Uh, I was gonna start with um, I, I was gonna start with uh, Black Lips, hmm. the Underneath the Rainbow album. I liked it. There's like four tracks on it I like, and the rest of it I just could do without. And it's sort of I I so I, I that was disappointed in that one. Mm. Um, 
but but they're also I think they changed they changed guitarists again. So so they one of one of the guys who used to be with them is coming back. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Um, so there may have been some some lineup issues involving that. Um, let's see the the two years record I wasn't real thrilled about, even though the singles were great, but the rest of the album isn't that good. Um, which I guess may people have been telling me that that's usually a problem with with her, but I I, I actually did like the previous record, all of it. So I don't know. Um, what was the other one? Uh, the Elbow record. I could not get into the Elbow record. Uh, the takeoff oh, and landing. Yeah. Oh God. I yeah. couldn't get into that record, and I was so disappointed. And I think that might be more me than anything else, but. No, I don't know. Is it? No. Okay. It's really annoyingly pretentious. It kind of, yeah. I, I just this, this is great for me because so far every record I've been disappointed in, <laughs> I'm not alone in. It's sort of makes therapy. Me feel good. good therapy. It's a gestalt. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of something else here, and I'm looking at my. I'm not looking forward to the New Order record. I, I just don't think it's going to be that great. I'm I'm waiting and seeing. I'm going to wait and see on that. Um, I, I, I I want to be wrong. Well, see, here's the thing. If you're basing it on the live, if you're basing it on live stuff, they've always been horrible live. Yeah, so I know. <laughs> but I'm even more even with Peter Hook, stuff. they were horrible yeah, live. So. Yeah, even with Peter Hook, they were horrible live. So it, it's a pavement thing. It's it's they sucked live, and they're great on record. I don't know why, for the same reasons. So, um, I'm I'm cautiously nervous about the new pornographer's record. Um, just because it is sort of the same thing that happened with with the Together record, where they all have other things, so much things happening that uh, they aren't recording things in the same room and they aren't writing things together anymore. I think we've entered that period of the band, and I'm a little nervous about that because Together was okay, not great. Uh, and I'm wondering if this record is going to be pretty much the same. So I, I'm, I, I'm nervous about that. Um, uh, the, the, I, I think we've talked about the Black Keys record. I mentioned it on, uh, on Justice. That you know, if if you're if you were expecting really good things from the uh, from the uh, what was it the um, Broken Bells, it's a really good Broken Bells record. But <laughs> and and I and it's hard because I really like Danger Mouse and I like what he does. It's just that I've gotten to the point now where I can tell when Danger Mouse has produced something because if it sounds like something from 1967, it's probably him. Um, so I, I think he's kind of gotten stuck in a sound and he needs to get out of it. Um, and, and probably the broken, I would say the broken bells record disappointed me more than the black keys record, except that I already called the black keys record, a really good broken bells record. So you guys figure that one out. Um, but that's about it for me. Okay. And I've confused the panel. Good. Um, uh <laughs> No, it, it all makes sense to me. I couldn't, I couldn't speak it back to you, but yes, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm on board. Um, so, uh, well, I think is, does anyone else have anything they want to share about the year thus far, as we 
try to get everyone up to speed on where our heads are at. Good. I think it does my heart well that the Michael Jackson record didn't do very well, hasn't done well yet. Um, because, you know, please, please stop rating the catalog when it shouldn't be rated. Well, Seriously, yeah. stop that. Well, it, here's the thing. The tracks I've heard off of it, they're not bad. I mean, and I don't mean the album, bad. I mean, they're bad as in the, you know, the adjective. They're, they're not bad. They're just, you know. It feels, okay, so, and it's not the fact that it's bad because they got a lot of really good producers to put that together. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So it's not that the material's bad. It just feels. Forced. Forced. It feels, uh, it feels uh, icky. Non-cohesive, perhaps? Not, well, non-cohesive, yes. But it just feels wrong in a way that, I don't know, is hard to explain. Mm. It to just, me, it felt wrong in the same way that the Frank Sinatra duets albums felt wrong. Yeah, kind of like that. Mm. Um, but, you know, the, but the thing is, you know, the sort of, and, and, and you can even argue, well, that's kind of why his later records weren't that good either. But, you know, there was a, there was a, there was at least a, thought to selection there was a thought to okay this material's been stretched out and worked out enough right that it's been released and and this kind of feels like okay we're just picking the entrails here and yeah it's not his, about the his vision of what the songs were yeah and it just kind of feels like okay now it feels less special also you know the tomb exhuming sort of thing but those two things together it just seems wrong somehow so I'm kind of glad that that didn't do what everyone thought it might do, that it, that it's not a bigger hit than it is, which sounds, again, bad, but it, it's, no, it, not really. just, it just sounds wrong. The whole thing just you, feels bad. You know what it needed? Right it needed an exclamation point. <laughs> uh, an exclamation point and some reggae. Now, if they just would have billed it as, like, a Michael Jackson remix project, I think the interpretation of it by the listeners would have been different. I could live with that. I'd still feel a little weird about that, but I could live with I that. I would, too, but, but then it... I wouldn't have felt lied to. Yeah, but they build it as a, quote, new Michael Jackson record, which is no. just stop. Just stop. It's, it's kind of like I expected the songs to be more finished than they ended up really being. Yeah. And... And and the inter the telling thing is if you, and I'm not telling people to go do this, but if you heard the deluxe edition of the record where they have basically the fragments, the, the deluxe edition of the record came with the fragments they had to work with. Okay, so if you listen to those, then you, then you feel even worse about the record. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it's like they really didn't have a whole lot to work with. Um, if you listen to some of those tracks and some of those demos – they were just kind of loose ideas of songs that hadn't quite been worked out yet. Um, some of this stuff does go back to the eighties. Um, but it was ideas that obviously were dropped and never come that never were never returned to. Uh, and in that context, if you hear that stuff in context, it makes you, it makes you a little depressed. Well, and, and contrast that with, uh, I mentioned the Johnny Cash posthumous album. Yeah. Which was, which was recorded. First of all, they were songs that were recorded, not snippets. Yeah. They were recorded at a single point in time, more or less. 
or at least a, a single era of the, the artist. So well, it was basically an unfinished album. A lot, the most of it was like an unfinished album from the '80s that they never released. Well, yeah, that just got shelved because. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but I'm just saying, it's it's you know, do you do you feel less icky about that album, say, than the Escape album? I do. I do because no. it, I, I do because oh, it feels. Oh. oh, sorry. No, no, no. I, I, Rob just said no. So, did 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 Out Among the Stars make you feel wrong, Rob? No, it did. No, it didn't. I don't see a problem with Out Among the Stars being released. Um, to me, it felt much more like the artist's vision of how the songs wanted to be. So I don't really feel icky about it. Yeah, well, that, that, it, that's what I was saying. It, it may be yeah. a way of it, 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 it is an example of something where it's a posthumous record and we're all okay with it, as opposed to Escape, which what was it? I was reading on Wikipedia again. Always right that this is the 11th album released by Sony and Motown since Jackson died. Yeah. So, wow. And and the thing about the Johnny Cash record is, you know, there were bits that were re-recorded. Some of the backing tracks were re-recorded, but they were done by a lot of his peers and by his kids. Yeah. And that makes a lot more sense than, you know, Justin Timberlake throwing on a duet uh, Timberland produced duet like and not having anything to do with the actual song. Right. It, it's yeah. different. True enough. So. Sorry for the confusion. No, 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 no. I, 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 I was like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> this might be interesting, but, uh, but no, I, um, uh, I, I, I think that basically, I don't know. Does that put an exclamation point on the whole podcast? Uh, maybe I think so. I, I think we have exclamation point sign. I, I think I yes we do, and I think I just like to add as a bombshell to close this out is that uh, the the except the people who brought you fast as a shark, which was featured in the film Demons, they have an album coming out in September. So <laughs> everyone officially has an album coming out in 2014. Nice. Yep. Fast as a shark. If they don't do the love theme from Sharknado, too, I don't know. Oh, there, oh. there is no justice in this world. Toughly. That is a genius idea. <laughs> that, that, yeah, just, just uh, basically they could be performing a live show playing fast as a shark when the, the, the Sharknado arrives, you know? There's going to be so yeah. many different versions of that release. They could probably do one. Uh, yeah, I think it'd be great. Skrillex. Oh, God. Yeah, there's there's a Skrillex EP I could get behind. So yeah, so so I guess that wraps up uh, an episode of the Soundboard. Thanks so much for listening. Um, as for where you can find us, if you want to follow what we do, Rob, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Facebook. There is also a Facebook page for Juxtaposition, and you can listen to the show uh, through the archive stream or live at kdhx.org. Just go to the site and look for Juxtaposition, and you can hear the show in its entirety there. You can look at playlists if you want to kill some time um, as well. Cool. Uh, and Tuffley, where can folks find you? Uh, I am on Twitter, uh, the highly creative uh, nickname Tuffley, at Tuffley. Um, you can also find me on Facebook, uh, also highly creative uh, under J.M. Tuffley. 
Uh, and I think you can find all three of us to answer for crimes against whatever you think we did uh, at uh, DragonCon on Labor Day weekend. Yes, indeed. Um, we, we will be there, and we will be taking uh, your recriminations as they come. Uh, but as, not really. But not really. But oh, we'll make some shit up. That'll be great. You, we, but, we, we'll make up our own stuff. Oh, of course. Uh, and I, I'm Widget with two Ts on Twitter. And uh, if you search for that, you can find me various other places. Some people has that, have that as their last name, but that's not me. Um, so if they're pretending to be me, tell them to stop. That's not your name, Widget. That's not your they name. Are, yeah, they have the Duran Duran fan clubs of Widget. Widget, Widget. Oh, God. Um, so, yes, hopefully we will, we will see you or you will hear from us again uh, sooner than this last one. Um, so until then, have fun, be safe, stay in school. And put an exclamation point on it. Make sure you know where your chainsaws are. It's kind of like putting a ring on it, but better. All right. Oh, Lord. There we go. And. Yay. Yay. Now we're stopping.